Habakkuk 1 through 2-1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breath of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and merciless killing nations forever? I will take, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word, and we pray that your spirit will be with us this morning, illuminating it to us, uh, that we uh, may be more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you've ever stepped foot into my house, You've likely thought something to the effect of, okay, he's got some books. Uh, I can usually tell when a non-reader comes in for the first time because one of the first things I will hear is, well, yeah, yeah, there's that. But then also, like, have you read all of these? 
<laughs> of course not, young grasshopper. Uh, but I aspire to read most of them. Most, most of the ones that I haven't gotten to yet, right? Yeah, because I've, I've read a lot of them. Not all of them. Uh, one book on the shelf, one of the shelves, uh, that I've not read yet is just a, a short little read entitled Stop Complaining. I'm not sure that I aspire to read it. <laughs> Maybe on my better days, I, I do. I, I'm always sure that I want my kids to read it. Um, Stop Complaining seems like a pretty Christian thing to do or at least a, a Christian thing to strive for, right? Uh, we might consider the antonyms of complaint. Uh, praise, contentedness. Uh, these, are, these are things that any, that any faithful Christian, um, I, I think, would say, uh, or, or I should say, is not going to say, uh, well, actually, uh, when, I, when I say to you, Christians should not be known for something contrary to praise and contentedness, right? These are things we all universally are going to sit around and say, yes, praise, contentedness, good. So where does that leave us uh, with complaining, right? We, I mean, we should be we should be marked by these things. Uh, the Israelites, not so marked by praise and contentedness, right? Uh, when they come out of Egypt, they're in the wilderness. Forty years of wandering, an entire generation promised that they would not see the promised land. Why? Because they're enslavers are washed up on the rocks in the rearview mirror behind them. They're being fed from the sky every day. And they're ungrateful complainers. So yes, Christian, stop complaining. Turn to someone even this morning on your left or your right and say to them, stop complaining. It's okay, you can do it. I wouldn't do it, I'll be honest. I'm not that person. Stop complaining. All right. Habakkuk 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you look idly, or why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth, perverted. Wait a minute. Could it be that Habakkuk, the prophet of God, is a complainer? 
Surely the first thing that God must say to Habakkuk after these lines is stop all of that complaining, you miserable mortal. The Lord's answer, starting in verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Hmm. Did you... Did you see the part there in Habakkuk's response where the Lord puts Habakkuk in prophet probation for being a complainer? I, I didn't either. Uh, so I'd like you to turn to your neighbor again and say this. Are you ready? Start complaining. I think you can say it. Start complaining. There you go. That's, yes, I, I love the voices of the small ones. You'll need to follow closely. <laughs> that is, in fact, uh, the message of, of our sermon this morning. Start complaining. Uh, I said earlier in what could only be perceived as a statement of the most obvious that being marked by praise and contentment is indisputably Christian. But obviously, these are, these are conditional characteristics, right? Uh, what, I, what I mean by that is no one in their right mind praises a toddler. Hey, we praise toddlers for all sorts of things, right? But no one praises a toddler when that kid picks up a permanent marker and takes to the hallway of your house like a young Jackson Pollock. And, and who among us would travel to a city known for having lead-tainted water and despite an ongoing boil advisory, go to a kitchen sink, pour a tall glass of water, take a drink, and then exclaim, ah, refreshing. I am content with this. So, of course, we recognize that a Christian is marked by praise and contentment because a Christian is someone who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We praise God because God is good. When is God good? I conditioned you this morning. All the time, right? And so we praise God in all seasons of life. We know we heard this morning that all things are from him and through him and to him. And we praise God 
recognizing that it is good and right to be content with him and that which flows from him. It seems then that what we need is a theology of complaining. If we are to start complaining in the right way, a godly way. So we're going to look at Habakkuk uh, this morning and actually over the course of three uh, non-consecutive weeks. Uh, we're going to cover the entire book uh, during three weeks, uh, but we're going to move a little bit around this morning. Uh, we'll get to how God responds to Habakkuk uh, in, in the future, but this week, just the complaining will really be in scope. So uh, for our theology of complaining, there are three main points. Sin, one, sin ruins almost everything. I'm going to nuance that almost, right? Like, I have to because I'm a lawyer. You know, there's the fine print, right? So, so obviously, that which Christ has redeemed and made his own uh, has not uh, been totally ruined. But we still feel the effects of sin in this present age. And, and even uh, institutions like the church that belong to Christ, like we still uh, see churches and know folks who, who get wrecked by sin. So sin ruins almost everything. Two, there is a creator God who is Lord, and that ought to mean something. Three, so start complaining, but buckle up. Number one, sin ruins everything. Much of today's would-be prophetic class is, frankly, made up of partisan tribalists. Your favorite prophet uh, earns his coin railing about the sitting president's insistence that his corrupt son has not done anything wrong. Whereas my favorite prophet, prophet uh, gets his walking around money by pointing out that the previous guy who occupied the White House repeatedly said that he's never done anything wrong that's required him to be repentant. Commitment to the tribe rather than a commitment to the truth or to justice prevents either of these prophets from ever saying anything that might upset his or her base. Sin hasn't ruined my tribe, they squawk. If you see something wrong with my tribe, it's only because of your own willingness to address what's wrong with your tribe. You hypocrite, right? Not so with Habakkuk. He recognizes that the prophetic calling requires an eye to see the entire impact of sin upon humanity and the whole world in a way that elevates him as a true prophet and his message as genuine, genuine prophecy that rises above that of 
today's chattering class. By the way, it's also why in the Bible, prophets are pretty much always on the brink of being stoned. Uh, we don't see this uh, in, in Habakkuk, but uh, I think it's fair to say that if Habakkuk continues down this path, it's more or less inevitable for him. Truth tellers, true truth tellers, do not win popularity contests. Habakkuk's first complaint, uh, which we previously read and saw in verses 2 through 4, is an indictment against the leaders of Israel. The rule of law has been so thoroughly disregarded by these leaders that it is virtually non-existent. And in its place resides an anarchy and a violence that serves the interests of only a select few. These leaders are the antithesis of what rulers ought to look like. And the result is a perversion of justice that is devastating for those underneath that so-called rule. Habakkuk's second complaint represents the shift that we so seldom see today. The prophet is truly more interested in seeing righteousness prevail than seeing his tribe score points. He knows that there will not be a true and lasting good if he's focused on nothing more than a zero-sum game where if those who aren't part of his team lose, then that means he must win. Why is this the case? It's because this side of the River Jordan, sin brings destruction and ruin. Look with me at the second complaint, verses 12 through 17. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do, you look idly, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? The remedy of Israel's unjust rulers being destroyed by an invading army will lead to more indiscriminate injustice against the vulnerable. How 
then? Can someone who truly desires to see God's justice prevail be satisfied with an outcome that looks like this? Truly, sin ruins everything. Before we go uh, to our second and third points, let's look at the nature of these complaints a bit more closely. Our theology of complaining does, after all, presume, as we've said, that there are right and wrong ways to complain. So let's note in the first place, Habakkuk's complaint requires that he take off his rose-tinted sunglasses. There really are, brothers and sisters, there really are grave injustices in this world. If, If you don't see them, I implore you, look more closely. There are people truly suffering today because of injustices against them. Second thing about Habakkuk's complaint that's worth noting is that the complaint is genuinely focused on the suffering of others. Habakkuk has an empathetic heart that calls him, that causes him to call out to God for those who he sees being hammered by injustice after injustice after injustice. The prophet knows that a right ordering lifts up the downtrodden. And so in light of the iniquity that he sees leveled against them, he complains. Is Habakkuk complaining in such a way that anyone could charge him with being tribalistic? No, I don't think so. Is Habakkuk complaining in such a way that anyone could charge him with being self-centered? Again, I don't don't think so. Uh, The answer seems to be clearly no. But in a real sense, if Habakkuk were among us today, a number of us, and I'll be honest, maybe I even count myself uh, in the number here, would probably consider walking up to Habakkuk and saying something like, hey, hey man, Habakkuk, you can't be saying things like that. Habakkuk, brother, I hear you when you say that there are a lot of problems today, but when you say that God doesn't hear you or that God doesn't save, it's a little little problematic. Habakkuk, we have you on record for saying directly to God, and and I quote verse 3. Why do you idly look at wrong? And, and then in verse 13, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Brother, Habakkuk, 
your quiet time right now? Maybe you should take a break from the 6 o'clock news. To which Habakkuk would likely respond, Brother, I am the 6 o'clock news. Then in response, we put Habakkuk on double secret probation and let the theological word and thought police keep an extra close eye on him lest he say anything that may cause others to think we don't always say the correct things. Of course, there's a problem with taking these measures against Habakkuk, right? Um, these words are inspired by God himself. None of us, of course, can claim that same sort of scriptural authority for our own words or the words of our contemporaries. But if the word of God is living and active, and it is, surely we ought to recognize that this can, in fact, be an act of godliness if someone is going before God in the same way that Habakkuk does, we shouldn't start a whispering campaign that asks about whether or not they're truly trusting in God. We should consider why we don't sound more like them, why we don't sound more like the words of Holy Scripture, and join them. This brings us uh, to our second and, and much shorter point. Uh, there is in heaven a creator God who is Lord, and that ought to mean something. Our God is not the blind watchmaker. He doesn't take naps in the middle of the afternoon, and he isn't twirling a fidget spinner as the world turns. In about a month, we'll have a second sermon on Habakkuk, and that will focus more intently on the God who sees, speaks, and takes action. So I don't want to preach that sermon to you now, and you don't want me to preach that sermon right now, but suffice to say that Habakkuk is not complaining simply because he needs to get something off his chest. Neither does his complaint equal to uh, the grumpy old man who shakes his fist at a cloud in the sky. No, Habakkuk complains as one who knows that God created something very, very good and that there's something very, very wrong with the way that it currently looks. Moreover, it's on account of God's nature that Habakkuk complains. God is just. God is omnipresent, seeing and hearing all things, all the time. God is the true king over all that he has created. And it is because of who God is that Habakkuk cannot stay silent. It is because the God who saved, or it, I'm sorry, it is because God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, 
forever that we need the third point. Start complaining, but buckle up. We should complain, not to the cloud in the sky, and, and maybe not nonstop to the group chat or the Facebook thread or the radio call-in show, but we should complain to the God from whom all things come and through whom all things are held together. He should hear from us when we see the things that are an offense to his nature. Start complaining out of a heart that longs to see the day in which the earth actually looks like how things are in heaven. Start complaining because men and women and children are not seen as image bearers of a holy God, but as expendable commodities to be used up and then discarded simply because of their skin color or ethnicity or birthplace or discarded before they even take their first breath. But in your complaining, don't forget your seatbelt. Habakkuk 2.1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on a tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. It's not a small thing that the God who created the universe lends us his ear so that we can complain to him. It is a good thing and a tremendous reality that when God hears a complaint, he, not us, determines how and when to respond as he sees fit. The image of Habakkuk standing in a watchtower waiting for God's response is instructive for us when we complain to God for a couple of reasons. First, he trusts that God will respond. Again, Habakkuk doesn't know how or when God will respond, but because he knows that God will respond, he waits. Standing in a watchtower requires perseverance and dedication. First of all, you notice I said, I said standing in a watchtower, right? You don't, trust me, you don't sit in a watchtower. You get, you get in a lot of trouble these days if you sit in a watchtower. For, Partly, um, if I can just go back there in my mind, uh, if, you, if you sit in a watchtower, you're more likely to get comfortable. If you get comfortable, it's, it's not good. Um, the least of which, uh, if you get caught getting comfortable in a watchtower, uh, you might get caught uh, getting too comfortable. Uh, that, again, that's the least of the concerns. Anyways, if I'm, you know, if I'm sitting up in a deer stand, as, as, I'm, as, I, as I hope to do from time to time, and, and, and decide 
that just my ears are sufficient for hearing a buck quietly walk through fallen leaves, then maybe I'll take the risk of reading a book. A worst case scenario, I miss an opportunity to put venison in my freezer. But you can't read a copy of Stop Complaining or anything else while you're standing in a watchtower. The consequences of not seeing and hearing something that comes over a nearby hill or through the tree line is too great. This is Habakkuk's posture. He dares not do anything but be 100% on the, on the ready for God's response to his complaint. And, and understand this as well. No one stands in a watchtower strictly for his own purposes. Just as Habakkuk makes his complaints to God out of his concern for the injustices he sees others facing, he now stands and waits so that he can report to them without delay when he first learns of God's response. There should be nothing casual about complaining to the Almighty. And for Habakkuk, the task of hearing from and responding to God is also anything but casual. Now, Habakkuk isn't a book that tops a lot of lists of favorite books to preach from. So maybe you've never been asked, when's the last time you went to the Lord with a complaint? But brothers and sisters, I hope that you will look at the world and be grieved enough by the sin that you see that it will drive you to long or something better, and not just anything better. I hope it will cause you to long for the defeat of sin, for the justice and mercy of God to reign over all. And I pray that you will petition God to this end as, as long as you wait for his kingdom to come. Wait and be ready for him. He will answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just your immensity, just, just your largeness that you do things that are beyond our comprehension and we can come to you as we see things in this world that don't always make sense of who it is that we understand you to be, that in your mercy toward us, you hear us complain of these things 
And Lord, you respond in grace and mercy. And you are unfolding in your perfect timing a plan of redemption that far exceeds any plan that we may have. Lord, we pray that you would give us merciful eyes to see suffering in the world and know that you desire something greater. And Lord, we pray that we would continuously be those whose hope is in the return of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.